You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. My guest today is Dr. Robert Allen Goldberg. He is currently director of the Tanner Humanities Center at the University of Utah, where he has been a professor for some years. He has an extraordinary resume in terms of, of his production on a number of topics, but particularly on the subject of uh, both conspiracy uh, history, conspiracy theories, uh, on which he did a book called Enemies Within, uh, published in 2002, The Culture of Conspiracy in Modern America. He has also written a great deal on the life and times of former Senator Goldwater. Dr. Goldberg is currently with us today, uh, both in connection with research he is doing here as well as a program at the museum, and he's graciously agreed to do a podcast on the subject in which he is, is, is clearly uh, one of the most, ex- most expert uh, views and minds that I've encountered on the subject of conspiracies and conspiracy theories. Let me just start out, if I may, Bob, by asking you if you feel that the times we live in right now, before we look backwards, but the times we live in right now, uh, 2007 as we speak, uh, with, with the, the immersion in, in at least one and a half wars in the Middle East, uh, the widespread concern about terrorism, uh, both outside the country and within, if this seems to you a particularly ripe period for the proliferation of even more conspiracy theories about current events and what is happening in our times. First, Peter, thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, I'm pleased to be joining you uh, this afternoon on this podcast. Since 9-11, since 2001, Americans have been hungry for conspiracy theories hungry for explanations that go beyond the news, the mainstream news, seeking to find hidden hands to events. I think this is a period where uh, many sources feed our hunger and we seek in a variety of ways to digest. I don't think this period is more unusual than some periods. The 1990s were what I call a hothouse for conspiracy thinking and the time before the Civil War as well. But this period does stand out specifically, again, because of 9-11 as a a potent period for conspiracy theories. Let me just 
let us just look back for a moment. I know you have some very well-developed approaches to understanding both how conspiracy theories get started and how they, in fact, grow and are, and are greatly magnified. I wonder if you could just take a moment and give me your sense of sort of the mainstreams of the origin of conspiracy theories and what continues to feed them. Sure. Peter, first let me note that America is not unique in its conspiracy thinking. If I looked around the world, I would say the most avid conspiracists probably live in the Middle East. Conspiracy thinking uh, inflames editorials, guides government policy, and captures, obsesses the minds of scores of people in the Middle East, whether Arab or Jewish. I look at history, and I think if there were conspiratorial nations, I'd look at Nazi Germany in the 1930s and uh, the Soviet Union in the 1940s and 1950s. What is amazing to me at the same time is how we have made conspiracy thinking in the United States, in the Americans, uh, a, a key component of who we are and our worldview. And I go back to the 17th century, to the 1600s, and find as the people got off the boat in New England, as they got off the boat in Jamestown, their minds already were peppered with ideas of conspiracy. European ancestors uh, looked at European history as filled with popish plots and Protestant conspiracies and Jewish subversion of the various societies. And our ancestors brought those over with them. Now, I believe that these ideas thrived in America for s several key reasons. I think the first key reason is our understanding of who we are as a people. Um, looking back again to the 17th century, Americans believed that they were on a mission, that God had sent them to the new world to raise up a new kind of place, God's kingdom. This was going to be a lighthouse onto the world, doing good for all mankind and womankind. I look at the 19th century and I hear the cry of manifest destiny. The idea that there was an obvious, clear responsibility that Americans had to God or to themselves to create this continental showcase of power for God's will and for civilization's need. And I look at American history in the 20th century. In my mind, you cannot understand America's wars, whether World War I all the way to the current war in Iraq, unless you believe that Americans have this idealistic reason to make the world a better place. Now, if you're doing the work of good and you're doing the work of God and you're doing the work of civilization, that draws the attention of Satan, of uh, the Antichrist, or the current evildoers and ev the axis of evil. That is, those people who seek to do well are going to attract those people who seek to do harm. I think that's a key factor, the idea of mission. The second is American diversity diversity of uh, America is an amalgam of people, our strength in my mind. But to other people, that diversity is actually a curse. That is, those people who are different from us are now within our gates. Those people who believe in other doctrines and lords and leaders are now within and are subversives. I'm always intrigued by the word un-American, for example. You can't be un-French and you can't be un-Swedish, but you can be un-American, and that's something peculiar to this country. And then there's a third motivating force, and that is America's experience with centralized government. And this goes back to the colonial period and is accelerated with the increase in power of the federal government in Washington, D.C. We believe that when people get power, they become arrogant in the use of power. 
When people have power and authority, they seek to build more power and more authority, and that leads to a form of corruption. Some Americans can quote Winston Churchill, but many Americans can quote Lord Acton. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, indeed, the federal government is our foreign government. Barry Goldwater would say that, Ronald Reagan would certainly agree, and millions more of Americans would. The idea of centralized power leads us to realize, in order to maintain our liberties, which are so fragile, we always must have a constant vigilance. A constant vigilance which puts us in a state of, if you will, anxiety, of tension, because we know that we have to check and balance those people who are arrogant. So in that state of insecurity, added to the question of diversity, and finally the idea of mission, I think we create the fertile ground which allows conspiracy theories to grow. Well, I know, Bob, when you and I were speaking earlier, uh, you touched on this, that is the sort of, that, that, that part of the iceberg that, that's, that's under the sea that is our history, that's our background, that has led us to believe uh, in the ways that we do. Um, but you also touched on at least three elements that you feel have accelerated that process, exacerbated, if you will, in our times. And I wonder if you could just touch on those while we're here. Sure. Uh, when, I, when people think about conspiracy theories, the first thing they think about are conspiracy theorists, the people who weave events into, into plots, the people who write the books and create the videos on YouTube or uh, that you can buy in the store, showing us detail by detail, and that's a key thing about conspiracy theories. They are incredibly detailed, giving us secret insider information which will reveal the truth. I think it's important to think about these people because these are the people where it begins. They create the ideas. They sell the plots. But these people exist in a wider context, and the wider context cultivates and facilitates the growth and the creation of these conspiracy theories. And I want to add two actors to the conspiracy theorist. The first actor is the American media. In Hollywood and on television, movies and television, from the movie Birth of a Nation, created in 1915, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in the 1930s, uh, Vanilla Sky, uh, JFK, even Undercover Brother, all are based on the idea of conspiracy theories. We have been taught on the silver screen and the little screen, because you've got to remember the X-Files, the reruns and reruns and reruns of the X-Files, we are taught that conspiracies are real, Conspiracies are dangerous, and conspiracies have infiltrated every aspect of American life. And we learn from our media mentors. There's a third element here. In addition to the conspiracy theorists, in addition to media, is the federal government. The federal government, in my mind, has practiced conspiracy thinking in regard to real and unreal threats in its history. It also practices, in my mind, a cult of secrecy in regard to the millions of civil servants who are tasked with classifying documents in secret. And add one other piece, and I, I want to rem remind myself of this wonderful quote by Susan Griffith, which was, wherever there is a secret, there is a rumor. And I think, add that to America's fear of centralized government, and you have a great deal of concern. And finally, what is so key to understand the conspiracy theorists is the issue of trust and faith that the people have in their government. If you erode trust and faith, people look for alternative sources of authority. 
if they do not believe their government leaders, then there is trouble for this republic. And through Vietnam and Watergate, Iran-Contra, the current war in Iraq, there has been a credibility gap. Uh, Oliver Stone is quoted as once saying, the history of Americans in the 20th century has been a history of betrayal. And I'm, I, I'm, I want to quote a, uh, a poll done by Gallup, and it's done by Gallup since the early 1960s, and I followed it until the mid-1990s. The question was, do you believe the government is doing what is right? And that question was asked in 1964, and 75% of Americans said, I believe the government is doing what is right all or most of the time. And this has been asked every year through the 90s. And in 1995, you had a mirror image, which was 25% of Americans believe the government was doing right all or most of the time. We have seen a vast erosion of trust and faith in the federal government. In Congress, in the medical profession, in the universities, in the courts, in a variety of key institutions in American society. When you have that loss of trust and faith, when you have that fear that your leaders are lying to you, that your institutions won't protect you, this is what allows conspiracy theorists to take the spotlight and to dominate. I know at one point in our discussion, you mentioned you felt there is, there is actually an element that, that both in some ways creates the conspiracy theories, but then does it in an entrepreneurial way. That is, the conspiracy theory becomes virtually, well, if you want, a way of business. Peter, there was a movie, and I'm very into movies, as you can tell from our discussion. There was a movie with Mel Gibson several years ago called Conspiracy Theory. Okay. And Mel Gibson was portrayed as the prototypical conspiracy theorist. He was anxious. He lived behind a door with eight or ten locks. His eyes darted left and right. He was clearly neurotic and sick. This is what we think about conspiracy theorists, that they're somehow misfits, people who are just simply not right. What I have found is that conspiracy theorists are very bright. They're male as well as female. They come from all races, genders, uh, ethnic groups. And they're very clever because what they do is they pursue their topics with what I call a vengeance of logic. And that is every single detail, every single fact, slippery, mind you, but every single detail and fact need to be fitted together. Okay? These people also realize that their bread and butter the only way they survive is by selling conspiracy theories. So when I was studying the Roswell incident, the idea that aliens had come to the planet and uh, the United States government had scooped them up, what I found was book would come out, and then three years later, a more sensational book would come out. And then three years later, another sensational book would come out, and that the witnesses, new witnesses were found, old witnesses' testimony was changed to make them more sensational because these people live and die by the sale of books and videos and newsletters. And we cannot discount, we cannot discount that entrepreneurial need that these folks have. And one final point about that. In the conspiracy theory movie with Mel Gibson, Mel was clearly not right in the head, but Mel was right. There was a conspiracy. And I think that, again, is the message that Hollywood gives. It's interesting. I, I served overseas, and I served in countries that had been overrun by foreign powers all through the centuries. And in a number of those cases, uh, these theories would be spun to me about why they could detect the fine hand of the United States covertly here or covertly there. And, of course, their whole history 
had been of a people in a land where foreign power, the foreign finger, as it was called, or the foreign hand, did do things so that the conspiracy theories that there was, they were taken up with now had a basis in fact, which is sort of what you're saying even about the Mel Gibson movie. Um, at the risk of being simplistic, um, it seems to me that the continued erosion of trust, even the, a basic level of trust in government, uh, and in and in the and and in public institutions, whether it is uh, the media or the university or that is academe or or medical profession, is not a good thing. It's an unhealthy thing, and I I, I would ask you as a historian, uh, to what extent we can tolerate that uh, indefinitely. Peter, I think it's absolutely dangerous. Uh, you cannot have a society where the people do not trust their leaders and do not trust core institutions, whether the institutions that educate them or give justice in this country. Uh, I think that's a major problem. And I think conspiracy theories add and accentuate and accelerate the problem because what conspiracy theories do is conspiracy theories demonize. It's not that you made a wrong decision. You made a decision on purpose for wealth of power that leads to the death of several thousand people. It's not simply you did something wrong. You're unpatriotic. You've betrayed the country. And what we're talking about is when you use words like demonize and betray and calling people unpatriotic and un-American, then you are accelerating the, the, the problems of disunity. You're fraying the bonds of union. And what we have as a people, particularly in this amalgam of peoples that we call America, is this need to have a common faith and a common ideal. And common support for our institutions. When you shed distrust on these institutions, when you deny the patriotism of your own leaders, that is, in my mind, a serious problem for the future of this republic. I, I know I had uh, one of my daughters went to see Oliver Stone's JFK with a friend, and when they came out, the friend turned to my daughter and said, gosh, that was, that was really, you know, I never knew it happened that way. In other words, there was an utter acceptance that this was the story of, of the assassination. Peter, in the 20th century, the greatest historians are filmmakers. Our people, whether they're young or old, don't read as much as they used to. Uh, newspapers are becoming almost a thing of the past. And what we know about history is what we see from Hollywood, what is in the cinema. And those images are much more powerful than anything anybody writes in a book. And the people who saw the JFK movie, and there actually have been studies done, what the audience saw or felt before they went and what they felt after. And there is a decided shift in regard to conspiracy thinking after, uh, from the attitudes before. But when you don't have people reading, and when you don't have people analyzing, and this is the one glimpse or snapshot they get of the past, this is what they carry forward. In my mind, this is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Do you, uh, I would think that you as a historian and, and as a prominent mem member of academia, as a professor for some years, as a published author of, of nonfiction books, um, what do you see as an approach to this? I mean, obviously, if I could take your book and, and force every senior in high school to read it all over the country, I'm sure people would see a conspiracy theory behind that. But 
in a sense, what I'm asking you is, what is the answer? I, I realize that's terribly simplistic, but the, the, the answer, of course, is for people to somehow develop a better understanding. I'm, I'm thinking right now, as you know, as we speak, uh, Ken Burns' The War is on about World War II. Now, it's 15 hours. Uh, there is a companion volume, and, and, you know, if people could expose to that. I mean, it gives them a sense of what that war was about. It does address a little bit, you know, did Roosevelt know about Pearl Harbor and so forth. You do get some answer to those by a non-government source. So is part of what you're saying is our, should we look for, for an improved product on, in, by way of films, documentaries, things uh, that are not the printed word, which as you say are people are reading, are, are dealing with less and less. They're much more prone to, to turn on the TV or the iPod or something and, and get their news in nuggets. Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is going to be more pessimistic than you would like. There, well, I'm sure this answer is going to be more pessimistic. Uh, I've been an educator for 30 years, and what I have seen in these 30 years is a decline in the desire to be curious, a decline in the desire to learn more. Uh, when I first started teaching in the 1970s, People would ask me after class, I'd like to read more on this topic. What should I read? I rarely get that. In fact, let me share a sentence from a student I had just yesterday. And that sentence was, uh, I don't like to read. And I, my response is, well, then you're not an American. Okay, because you as a citizen who is an American has an obligation and responsibility to read and to learn and to test what you believe. My biggest fear is that people are lazy in this country, have become very lazy, and are not willing to stretch themselves, to read more, to learn more, and they become incredibly gullible. And gullible means that they are susceptible to conspiracy theorists. To read a conspiracy theorist book, or any book, you have got to basically focus your mind and say, is the evidence here, is this logical? as opposed to just read an adventure thriller, which is what many of these conspiracy theorists write. So I'm somewhat pessimistic, Peter, and uh, again, this is after 30 years of teaching. Well, let me, I'll ask you one last question. I'm a, a serious young person, male, female. Uh, I'm coming, beginning my professional life. Um, I haven't read a great deal. I don't have a great historical sense. I, I major, I got an MBA. Uh, but not a, not a big grounding in history, although I, I would read things occasionally. I watch the History Channel sometimes. Um, but I do want to understand things better. I don't want to be gulled by the entrepreneurs of conspiracy theories and so forth. What, and yet I'm, I, am, I meet a proliferation of sources of information, the Internet, whether it's Google or Yahoo or YouTube or MySpace. What might you say to me as a way of both keeping my professional grounding but having a sense of the reality of current events? I would advise any person who asks me that kind of question to keep your healthy skepticism as powerful as it possibly can be. And when you read a book, you watch a documentary, you watch a TV show, you have got to be tuned as to who produced this on the basis of what evidence was this produced. Because whether it's YouTube or the Internet, these are sources, to be frank, without the grounding of authority. 
I'll give you an example. I, I, taught a, I teach a class on conspiracy theories, and I send my students out to study conspiracy theories, and one came back with uh, uh, the Pearl Harbor conspiracy theory and uh, indicated to me that, yes, the Japanese had been lured by Franklin Roosevelt, and she was absolutely convinced. And I said, well, is there other evidence? Well, yeah, but I really like this one. And the key in whether I told my student this or I tell anybody else, after you're convinced about something, you've got to constantly look for information that confronts it. Because entering the conspiracist circle is a closed circle. It's a closed circle where there's no refutation, there's no dissonance, but everything is linked and in agreement. And you have got to have the power, mental power, to break out of that circle and constantly look for information that disputes what you believe. Well, Dr. Goldberg, Bob, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. And uh, I want to take the extra step of, of really highly recommending your book, Enemies Within, and that was published by, uh, by uh, Yale, Yale University Press, 2003, Two. 2002. And I, I think it's a terrific read, and it very much is in alignment with what you've talked to us about this afternoon. I think what you're talking about is something terribly important. I think it has a lot to do with the future of this country. And so I really uh, I would urge people to follow up. If they're interested in this subject, they could, do, uh, they could not do better than, I think, taking a look at your book. And thank you again for joining us. And Peter, thank you, and thank you for all the hard questions. Well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you. And uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast at spymuseum, that's one word, dot org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. <laughs>